Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. We have a good number back tonight. And for that, we're very grateful. We're very appreciative of each and every person who is here tonight, especially those who are visiting. And we want you to know that we always count you as an honored guest. We invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. Tonight we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. And I would ask you to be turning in your Bibles to that particular passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Sometimes it's very easy to talk about Christianity in theory and principle, but it's altogether different when you begin to talk about putting it into practice. And the Bible tells us that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so there are sometimes passages of scripture that are somewhat difficult to implement into our lives, and yet we know that if we're going to be pleasing to God, live acceptably before Him, we must strive to the best of our ability to walk in harmony with His will and do what He says in His inspired Word. Tonight I want us to think for a moment or two about how to deal with life's injustices. And sometimes you and I, as members of the human family, are not always treated as we would like. There are many people in our world today that do not live by what we typically call the golden rule, as outlined by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, and yet we know that we want to, to the best of our ability, treat others as we want to be treated. In verses 31 and 32, the Apostle Paul deals with some principles that should be practiced by those of us who belong to the body of Christ. The first thing that he instructs us to do is to put away what might be called a caustic spirit. And really what he is saying here is that we are to discard certain traits or characteristics that might prevail in our life. And so look at what he says in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put, away, be put away from you with all malice. The first thing that I want you to think about in this particular point has to do with situations that sometimes bother us. Let me just ask this question. Have you ever been wronged in life? You ever had anybody say something to your face that was inflammatory? Has anyone ever said something about you that later came back to your presence? I suspect that probably all of us have. It might be the case that you're here tonight and someone has taken advantage of you. Maybe you have been on the wrong side of a business deal. Maybe someone has mistreated one of your loved ones. Well, there are certain passages of Scripture that teach us how we are to react 
when we are wronged. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus talks about someone who might go to worship and there remember that his brother has something against him. But Jesus said what we are to do is to leave our gift at the altar, go and be reconciled to our brother, and then come and offer our gift. And then in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus talks about a situation where someone has sinned against us. And he said we are to go to that brother and tell him his fault between the two of us. In other words, we're not to go talking to others about it, but rather we're try, we are to, to try to settle that matter in-house. Well, those would make for some good lessons, and maybe in the very near future we'll talk about Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18. But there are situations that sometimes bother us. And if we do not learn to deal with the wrongs or injustices of life, what we're going to find out is that some problems are going to internalize within us. And that's really what Paul talks about in verse 31. So first of all, you have some situations in life that bother us. But Paul says that if we're not careful, that particular situation can come to bind us. There are people that because they have been wronged, will have within them rage pent up. And that rage begins to build. And sometimes it comes to a bawling point. But note if you would what he says in verse 31. In verse 31, and we're talking here about how a situation that has gone wrong between us and someone else, that particular situation bothering us, it goes from bothering us to binding us. Well, how does it bind us? Well, look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, and that word bitterness carries with it the idea of wickedness. It denotes a wicked root that would produce wicked or bitter fruit. Now, sometimes we talk about how somebody has a sour disposition. They become very bitter towards life or towards others in life. Well, Paul here is saying that in order for us to be at peace with ourselves and in order for us to live acceptably before God, first of all, we need to, to do away with, to discard bitterness. But then he uses a second term. It's the word wrath. And really when you look at the original, the words wrath and anger are somewhat synonymous, but on the other hand, there are some differences here. If you go back and look at the original. The word wrath, as employed by the Apostle Paul here, carries with it the idea of an angry temper. As a matter of fact, it's translated that way in the New American Standard Version. But it, it carries with it the idea of somebody who we might call a hothead, who has a volatile temper. Now, I don't know if any of you have a volatile temper or not. I suspect that probably some of us may be hot-headed from time to time. It's very easy to lose your temper when provoked. Well, the word wrath here carries with it the idea of someone who 
literally boils up, and then that anger soon subsides. And so it's just uh, somewhat of a temperate, temperance issue. But then this next word that Paul employs is the word anger. And this word, while it is somewhat synonymous with the word wrath, there is a difference. This word carries with it the idea, here's somebody who gets mad or becomes angry. And rather than that anger subsiding, it begins to settle. And then it begins to smolder. And the more that individual thinks about what has happened, what has been said, or what has been done, the madder that person gets. Now let me ask this, you know anybody like that? You ever had that problem? We're all members of the human family. And Paul here is not talking theory. He's not talking principle here. He's talking real life. And in the real world, these are things that you and I have to deal with. Are we going to be wronged in life? Yes. Are there going to be injustices in this life? Absolutely. Are people going to say things that are inflammatory to us or behind our back? Yes, they will. How then are we going to react? Well, we can become bitter. We can can be stirred to the point of wrath. We can develop anger where that anger literally begins to permeate our soul and we fail to let it go. And that's really what Paul is talking about here. Somebody who just holds on to it. They can't let go. And he's saying that's a very dangerous thing. But then he also uses another word. It's called clamor. Now we don't use this word in in our society today, at least I, I don't know of anybody that does. But the word means outcry. It's defined as high words used in a brawl. You ever seen two people that get get upset with one another and they begin to talk and to uh, discuss the matter at hand and the more they talk, the more intense they become, the louder they get. That's really what Paul, I think, is talking about here. Here are two people that their, their conversation begins to escalate and before you know it, they're yelling and screaming at one another. Paul says, as a child of God, you don't need to live like that. You don't need to have wrath and anger. You don't need to be using loud loud words in a a setting that would, would call for a brawl. And then the next thing he talks about is evil speaking. And this word means slander. And it carries with it the idea of someone who would would say things that are injurious to another's good name. Now, it may be the case that we're provoked. It might be that we have been wronged, and we are on, we're on the receiving or the brunt end of a bad deal. Well, even though that may be the case, it doesn't necessarily give us the right, it doesn't give us the right, to tarnish the name of another person. And I also I, I think about in this, in this context what Paul talk, talked about in Romans chapter 13 about how vengeance belongs to the Lord. God said, I will repay. God will one day settle the score when injustices come our way in life. And so in our lesson text in verse 31, 
we first of all think about a situation that would bother us. And then after a situation erupts because of some miscarriage, mistreatment, that escalates to where it begins to bind us. Now, if you don't deal with wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, it, it's going to bind you. It's going to get you in its clutches, so to speak. But here's the real danger. Look now at what he says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. The situation will not only bind you, it will blind you. Why do I say it will blind you? Because the word malice, it, it denotes someone who is at the point of turning a blind eye to right and wrong. In other words, here's somebody that has been wronged. And because of this particular injustice in life, they have no problem taking matters into their own hands, even to the point of breaking the law. Have you ever heard of somebody who has been charged with a particular crime? And it has been said with malice and forethought they committed this particular act or they perpetrated this particular heinous crime. I remember hearing about an individual many years ago, I believe it was in the state of Arkansas, who had a daughter. And if I'm not mistaken, his daughter had been raped and I'm, I believe she had been killed. And they apprehended the man that perpetrated that particular crime. And it was a very heinous crime. What I was told was that Following the trial, this man had gone to trial, they had left the courtroom, and state troopers were, were escorting him out of the courthouse. This girl's father stepped out from the shadows of the courthouse with a gun. He told the state troopers to step back. He said, this man's going to die. Nobody else is going to get hurt, but he is going to die. And I have been told that that man shot the one who perpetrated that particular crime. Now that is in and of itself malice. Here's somebody who goes to the point of breaking the law. They don't even feel any kind of compunction in doing that. And so that's why it's so dangerous to harbor these thoughts. When you allow anger and wrath to begin to simmer, when you allow that to, to take hold of your life, if you're not careful, it will lead you to, to commit acts that you know are wrong. Now, there's an emotional side to all of this. Have we been hurt? Yes, we have. Have we been mistreated? We're not, we're not disputing that at all. But what we are talking about is trying to maintain a sense of equilibrium in the face of provocation. We're trying to take the mind of Christ, develop it in our own hearts and lives, and live it out as hard as that may be. 
Now, having said that, let's now look at verse 32 and note what Paul says. First of all, we're, we're instructed or called upon to put away a caustic spirit. But in the second place, Paul says what we need to do is put on a charitable spirit. And the idea here is that we are to develop certain traits that will help us to overcome or offset these negative traits that come about so easily in life. And so, first of all, note if you would the responsibility. Here is the responsibility that, that rests on every person who is a member of the body of Christ. Now really, when we talk about scriptures, everyone is amenable to the word of God. The problem is not everybody lives according to the Word of God. But nonetheless, we are instructed to live according to the principles of the Bible. So what then is our responsibility? Here it is. Listen to what Paul says in verse 32. Well, go back and read with me verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, here's what he says. And be kind to one another. Now, is it easy to be kind? And what Paul is saying here is that in the face of provocation, in, in light of the injustices of life, what we need to do is to be kind or courteous, polite. Somebody says, that's not normal. That's not natural. That's exactly right. It's not normal, nor is it natural. But tell me what in Christianity is normal and natural. Read the Sermon on the Mount and note how there was a mentality that existed among the Jewish people. They had heard certain things and they had believed that there were certain things that fit their theological way of thinking. But Jesus said, I say unto you, Christianity calls upon us to rise above the norm. And so Paul said, be kind to one another. Be courteous, be polite. And when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about some of the great traits or characteristics of love. And he said, love suffers long and is kind. But then he also says, not only are we to be kind to one another, but we are to be tender-hearted. The word tender-hearted means to demonstrate pity or compassion. Again, is this easy to do? Is it easy to have pity on those that might be classified as enemies or to be compassionate toward others? And then he says, we're to be kind, we are to be tender-hearted, and we are to be forgiving of one another. That's the responsibility that rests on us as members of the body of Christ. We are to literally forgive others of their offenses, their trespasses towards us. Now, having said that, let me, if I could, give you an example of somebody who I believe reflected these virtues in his life. So go back with me for just a moment because I want to read this with you because I think it's very important. Go back, if you would, to the book of Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 50, the account here is of Joseph and his brothers. And you know that Joseph had been mistreated by his brothers. They had cast him into a pit. 
He had been sold into slavery. He had been sold into the hands of the Midianites and Ishmaelites who later sold him into Egypt. He rose to prominence in the household of Potiphar and then he became a famed statesman under Pharaoh. But all of that aside, in Genesis chapter 50, we have Joseph's father dying. Now, if you go back and read the account in the book of Genesis, you'll find that there were some 22 years that elapsed from the time Joseph was sold into slavery until he reunited with his brothers. He was 17 years of age when he was separated from, from his father and from his brothers, 39 years of age when he saw them again. So a lot of time has elapsed. But now in Genesis chapter 50, we find they've been reunited. They've been able to, to settle in the land of Goshen, and there God's people would begin to permeate and grow into a mighty nation of people. In verse 15, Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. Now, note if you would their attitude. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. What do you think these guys were thinking? tell you what I think they were thinking. I think Joseph's brothers thought, you know what? The rooster has now come home to roost. We did him wrong. Our father's out of the way now. There's nothing holding him back from settling the score. And if you go back and, and you read the previous chapters, and if you'll read where they were, were reunited, you'll, you'll see that uh, Joseph had told them in the long ago that they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. All right, now note verse 16. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. These guys were scared to death. And they're using their father and their father's good name to hopefully avert any kind of backlash that might come their way. But Joseph, he didn't think like they thought in the long ago. And in looking at the mentality of these brothers following being reunited with Joseph, you'll see that their hearts had been burdened by guilt and anxiety over what they had done. Verse 18, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. Listen to him in verse 21. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What did Paul say back in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4? And be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. All right. Was Joseph kind? Yes, he was. Joseph was polite, he was courteous, and he also demonstrated compassion or pity 
towards his brothers. The Bible says that he told them he would provide for them. Joseph had been, he had been mistreated in, in a very bad way. If you want to talk about somebody who faced injustice in life, here, here is a good example of that. And yet, Joseph did not try to settle the score. He didn't try to, to even things out. One of the principles of love is this. It takes not account of evil. Love does not keep a scorecard. You just think about that for a minute. We're going to be wronged in this life. And sometimes members of the body of Christ are going to disappoint us. But we're not going to keep a scorecard inside our coat pocket or in our purse, and every time something is said or done, pull that out and remind them of what they've done. It doesn't work like that. Paul said we are to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, listen, if you would, to the latter part of verse 32. And here is what we are to remember. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ forgave you. What's the point, Paul? The point is you and I need to be willing to forgive others because God willingly, lovingly forgave us. Look at your own life. There are a lot of things that I have done in my past that I'm not proud of. And I suspect that there may be any number of us here today that feel the same way. There are things that we have said and done, no, we're not proud of. If we could go back and change those things, we would change them, but that's not possible. But a gracious God in heaven did what for us? He forgave us. Why did He forgive us? Because of what His Son did on Calvary's cross. Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price for our sins. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul. When Paul wrote to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Had Paul done some very... Horrendous things in his life, you better believe he had. He had persecuted those who were followers of the way. He had bound them up. When they were put to death, he said, I gave my voice against them. In other words, I consented to their death. Go back and read Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was put to death. Who was standing by when Stephen was stoned to death? Saul of Tarsus. And yet what did God do to Saul of Tarsus? He forgave him of sin. How do I know that? Because I can read Acts twenty-two sixteen when Ananias came to him and said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why then do we need to forgive? Because God has forgiven us. Let me give you another reason. Because our forgiveness with God is predicated on our willingness to forgive those who wrong us. I can't be forgiven if I'm not willing to forgive those who trespass against me. Read Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. If you and I do not let go and forgive others, then God in heaven 
will not forgive us. And so we have to forgive. Now, in closing, is it easy? Probably not at times. There are some people that have been on the receiving end of a lot of mistreatment in this life. I think about people that have seen in their own lives miscarriages of justice. They have been hurt deeply. Those, wo those wounds are still fresh and open. But what we have to try to do is take what Paul writes here and implement that into our own lives. We have to take what we might call principle and put it into practice. Somebody said that's where the rubber meets the road. It sure is. Christianity is not always easy. It's not always easy treating people kindly, compassionately, lovingly when we've been wrong. But that's what, we're, that's what we're supposed to do. And so, how then do we deal with life's injustices? Just like Paul said, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The next time you have difficulty forgiving somebody for what they have done to you, let me in all humility say this. Just step in front of the mirror and remember who forgave you of all of your sins. Remember what the Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. The bottom line is this. May God help us to put his word into practice. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. What would you need to do? Well, here's what the Bible says. Because we're interested in what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. The Bible says, except you repent, you'll perish, Luke 13, 3. The Bible says that we are to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10. The Bible says we are to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Acts 2, verse 38. When we do that, then God adds us to the body of Christ. And if we live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life. Revelation 2, at verse 10. If you're here tonight, maybe you're, not, maybe you're not what you should be. Maybe you're not faithful. Now here's what the Bible says. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Listen. We're human beings. We all struggle from time to time. There are shortcomings and pitfalls in all of our lives. None of us, none of us are perfect. And that's why because we're not perfect and because we struggle, we, we can pray for one another. And we can confess our wrongs. And God, who is gracious and loving, will forgive every sin. That's what John said in 1 John 1 at verse 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?